our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1 is page 862 in the Pew Bible. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible, 862. 1 John chapter 1, and I'll be reading the first 10 verses, which is the entire first chapter. 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. This is the message that we have heard from him and are declaring to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live it by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us of all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Let's pray. Father, bless your word today. Speak to us. Open our hearts that we might grasp what really is Christmas all about. In Jesus' name, amen. You know that, that hymn we just sang, that Christmas hymn, it asked the question that everybody will have to answer at some point in their life. What child is this? Who is this child born in a stable in Bethlehem? And we still celebrate his birth 2,000 years later. Literally millions of people around the world are celebrating the birth of this child born in a stable 2,000 years ago. Jesus is someone that has to be explained. And this passage does exactly that. This passage explains to us who this child born in a manger is. Now, I'll tell you, our text, our text this morning does not, it doesn't really strike us as a Christmas passage. Uh, and that's mainly because there's nothing in here about the nativity. I mean, there's no reference to Joseph and Mary. There's no reference to uh, the wise men or the shepherds. Uh, not even the angels are mentioned here. But even though John does not mention anything about the nativity, he is giving us an incredible explanation of what happened 2,000 years ago in that stable in Bethlehem. Now, as we work our way through this passage, I'm going to use a very big doctrinal word, but it has a very simple definition. The word is incarnation. It's a simple word. It means simply God becoming 
a man. Now, as we look at this passage, we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the importance of Christ's birth or the incarnation. And then we're going to look at the impact of Christ's birth or how it changes our personal lives. So let's take a look. First of all, let's look at the importance of Christ's birth. You know, by the way, let me say, the Apostle John is the one who's writing this letter. He is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. This is the guy who spent every day with Jesus for three years. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And nobody knew Jesus better than the Apostle John. He had a front row seat. He was there at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He was there all the way to the end of Jesus' ministry. And I don't think there's anybody who knew Jesus better. He heard every word Jesus spoke, saw every miracle Jesus worked. And I want you to notice what John says in verse number 2. In verse 2, John says, he says, The life appeared, we have seen it, and testify to it. Now, if I say to you, tomorrow, I'm going to have to testify to what I saw. I'm going to have to testify to what I heard. You would immediately recognize, I guess tomorrow, he's going to be in court. Because this is a legal term. What John is saying is, I am willing to stand in a court of law to raise my right hand and I'm going to testify. Take a look at verse 1. He's going to testify to the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And notice verse 1. He says, that which was from the beginning. In other words, what I'm going to share with you was God's plan from the beginning. It was God's purpose from the very beginning. The incarnation is something that was planned and purposed from the very beginning, he says, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we looked at. By the way, he adds to that, we didn't, we didn't just see it, we didn't just see the incarnation, we examined it, we studied it. And then he says, our hands have touched. These are all terms of jurisprudence. John is saying, I'm, giving, I'm going to testify to what I saw. I'm going to testify to what I heard. And I'm going to testify to what I touched. In other words, we saw Jesus walking on the water. And I'm going to testify. I would testify in a court of law that I saw Jesus walking on the water. And I, I would testify that I heard him preach the Sermon on the Mount. And, and when we were in the upper room, and Jesus appeared. Thomas went over and actually touched the nail print that are in the hands of Jesus. John is saying, what I am sharing with you is historically verifiable events. These are not legends. These are not fabricated stories. This is how it happened. John says, we were witnesses to the most amazing event in all of history, the incarnation of God. Think of it. The invisible becoming visible. The intangible became tangible. Deity took on humanity. Now, this is what makes Christianity unique from every other 
religion. This is what separates Christianity from every other religion. For example, you take all of your Eastern religions. There's a whole family of them. Uh, some of the big ones are uh, Hinduism and, and Buddhism. And what they will tell you is that that God is so imminent, He's so near, He's so imminent, that the incarnation is normal. God is in everything. And we would say, well, Christ is the incarnation of God. And they would say, yes, and so am I. <laughs> and so is that cow, and so is that dog, and so is that tree. God is in everything. That's what Buddhism and Hinduism teaches. God is in everything. The incarnation is a normal process of life. Now, on the other hand, on the other end of the spectrum is uh, Islam and, and Judaism, which believes that God is so transcendent, that he, he is so distant, that he is so separate from creation, that the incarnation is impossible. In fact, do you, in fact, they would call that blasphemy. And remember, that is exactly what they accused Jesus of committing, blasphemy. Because he was claiming to be the incarnation of God. And here comes Christianity. And Christianity says, now wait a minute. Yes, God is imminent. He is imminent so that the incarnation, it is possible. Yet God is so transcendent, so distant, that the incarnation would be, it would be the most paradigm-shattering history-altering, life-changing event in all of history. And that's what Christianity believes. That God took on humanity and came to us in Jesus of Nazareth. And that's why Christianity stands apart from every other religion. It's because we believe God did the impossible becoming a man. You see, one of the basic teachings of our Christian faith is that we believe in one God. One God, God is one in essence, but he's three in person. He's God the Father, he's God the Son, he's God the Holy Spirit. And God the Son is the one who came to this earth and took on humanity. That the infinite God became an infant child. And so the incarnation, really, uh, let, me, let me put it this way. And this originally comes from uh, C.S. Lewis. And I like his analogy. He, what happened was C.S. Lewis was an agnostic. He, did not, he believed in God, but um, he did not believe that you could know God. He was agnostic. There was a God way out there somewhere, so transcendent, so far off, that we could never know him. And then one day, by the way, C.S. Lewis was a, he was a professor of literature at Oxford in England. And in 1931, as he was looking, you know, teaching a course in Shakespeare, and he was really an expert in Shakespeare, it dawned on him, wait a minute. He thought, you know, but originally he thought that, for example, one of, one of his plays was, Shakespeare's plays was Hamlet. And it was always his view that Hamlet, who was a creation of Shakespeare, could never know Shakespeare because they're on two different levels, two different uh, dimensions. 
And then it dawned on C.S. Lewis. He said, you know what? There is a way that Hamlet could know his creator, Shakespeare. If Shakespeare were to write himself into the play as William Shakespeare and introduce himself to Hamlet. And it dawned on C.S. Lewis that that is exactly what God has done. He wrote himself into the script of history. He wrote himself into history as a child born in a manger in Bethlehem. He wrote himself into history as, as a carpenter growing up in Nazareth. And he wrote himself into history as the Savior who would die on a cross for our sins. And by the way, when God wrote himself into history, he, didn't, he isn't writing himself in as merely a, uh, uh, a cameo appearance. He is the main character. All of history revolves around Jesus Christ. And rightfully so, because he is God incarnate. Now why is this so important to us? It means that you and I can know God on a deeply personal level. Think about how much more we know about God, our Creator, how much more we know about him because he came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. We know so many, so many more wonderful details about God through Jesus. We know, for example, we know that our God is a loving God. When you look at the life of Christ in the Gospels, you see Jesus doing things like reaching out and touching a leper. And letting that leper know that God loves you, God values you, and you are important to God. And that's just one example of the love of Jesus Christ, which is really God letting us know that he loves us. And of course, the greatest expression of his love will come at the cross, when he will go and die for us. We know that God is a God of love. We also know that God is a forgiving God. When Jesus was on the cross, the first thing he said, remember, was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. If God, if God would forgive them for what they were doing, he is a very forgiving God. We know that God is all-powerful. When we look at Jesus, we can see the things that, the miracles that he did. Uh, one, on one occasion, for example, he feeds 5,000 people with just, what, was it five loaves of bread and two fish? And Jesus always used his power. He never used it for himself. He always used it to help others. We know so many wonderful things about God. We would not have known except for the fact that Jesus Christ has come to us. Something else I think we also need to realize how important the incarnation is. And that is, really the incarnation is the first of the three great foundational doctrines of our faith. The incarnation is the first one. God becoming a man. That's what Christmas is about. The second great doctrine is what we call the atonement. When Christ goes to the cross and pays for our sin. That is Good Friday. And the third great doctrinal uh, upon which we believe, 
build our lives on as Christians is the resurrection. When Christ rises from the grave, and that, of course, is Easter. So the incarnation really is the first in a series of critical miracles and critical um, steps that the Lord will take to ensure that we have salvation. Now, something as important as the incarnation is going to have a very profound effect on us. And that's what I want, want to look at next. Let's look at the impact. Second of all, let's look at the impact of Christ's birth. And we're going to see that there are three. The first one is that Christmas means that we are forgiven of our sins. Do you realize we have a, a sin problem? We have a sin problem. We were born in sin. In fact, in verse number 8, John says, If we claim to be without sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And Christ came to resolve that sin problem. That's why he needed a body. That's why you have the incarnation. That is what Christmas is all about. God said, I need a body. A body that can be nailed to a cross. You cannot nail a spirit to a cross. God says, I need a body to be nailed to a cross. And I need a body that bleeds. And by the way, that, that's, what, that's what communion is all about, isn't it? The bread represents the body that was nailed to the cross. The cup represents the blood that was poured out for our sins. We have a sin problem. And Christ came through the incarnation to deal with that and to resolve it. In fact, he's done all the work necessary to resolve our sin problem. All we have to do is what? Confess it. Put our trust in Christ and confess our sins. Notice verse number 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He's done all the work. All we do is confess, I've sinned. I'm putting my trust in Christ and his work on the cross. You say, well, what if I, what if I sinned and I don't know it and I don't, and I don't, I don't confess it? And I, we're all in that boat. We've all sinned and we don't even realize we've sinned and we've never confessed it. How does God deal with that? Well, notice what it says. It says that he forgives us or purifies us from all unrighteousness. The point is, if we will confess the sins that we know we've committed, he will forgive us of also the sins we don't even realize we've committed. He will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Remember, I know I've told this before, but remember the story about the fellow, he saved his money. He, was, he saved and saved his money because he wanted to buy uh, the car of his dreams. And that was a Rolls Royce. He always, he wanted a Rolls Royce. And he bought it, he drove it everywhere. He loved that car. But one day it broke down. So he had it towed to his house where he parked it. And he called England called Rolls Royce in England and says my car has broken down 
And so immediately, and he explained to them what the problem was, they immediately put a mechanic on an airplane along with all the parts and sent it over here to the U.S. The mechanic came and spent the entire day repairing the car. Test drove it, certified it, perfect. Several weeks go by. Being a very conscious, very conscientious man, he, uh, has, he has not received a bill. So being conscientious, he, um, he calls, he calls Rolls Royce back up. He says, you know, you all came out, worked on my car, it was broke down, but I haven't received the bill yet. And the receptionist says, well, let's get, I'll let a representative know and, and he'll get back with you on that. A couple of days later, remember, the representative calls back, calls him back and says to him, sir, we've searched our records. And we find no record anywhere of a Rolls Royce ever breaking down. You know, when Jesus opens up the file, your file in heaven, when he opens up his laptop and he turns and he plugs in your name and it comes up, you know what he finds? No sins at all. There's nothing there. It's a blank page. Why? Because Christ has purified us. That's the old way of saying he has deleted our sins every one of them so first of all what it means is we have the forgiveness of sins second it means that we have fellowship with God notice verse number three again verse three it says that uh, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard uh, so that uh, you may have fellowship with us verse three and our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ Christ you know, how interesting that John refers to the creator of all things, God in heaven, as a father. By the way, you know, the, this whole concept of fellowship with God, this is uniquely Christian. You will not find it in any other religion. The whole idea of calling God a fa- your father is unique only to Christianity. And the idea of fellowship with God is unique. And by the way, think about this. Think, think about Jesus, the Son of God, coming all the way here to what? To make, really, to form a relationship with you and with me. That's incredible. That, that he would leave the throne of heaven to come down to a stable on earth to form a relationship with us. Now, if he would do that, if he would do all of that simply to have a relationship and fellowship with us, what, what are we doing to draw closer to him? What steps are we taking that we might strengthen that fellowship, that we might build that relationship? What steps are we taking to become more closer to the Lord? Reading scripture, praying, not just reading scripture, by the way, immersing yourself in it, especially the gospels where you read so much about the life of Christ. A while back on Facebook, there, there was, a, there was a, I think it was a parent and a child, but it was an adult and a child. And the adult says, I sure wish God would speak to me about this. I sure wish, I wish I could, I wish the Lord would just speak to me. And the child says, 
Read your Bible. <laughs> yeah. And then and the, and the adult says, no, 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 I'm, I wish God would speak audibly to me. And the child says, read out loud. <laughs> you, know, you know, think about it. If you really want to hear the Lord speak, read out loud. Christmas, it, it really is an invitation to build a relationship with God. And there's nothing more rewarding, nothing more healthy, nothing more encouraging than to be walking in fellowship with the Lord. Alright, so first, Christmas means, the incarnation means we have the forgiveness of our sins, we have fellowship with the Lord, and most importantly, it means that all of this, salvation, is by grace. You know, when you read through this passage, I am struck by the fact that Jesus is referred to as life, eternal life, and the word of life. Verse 1, at the very end of verse 1, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it and testified to it. The life. It's all about life. This, this is a staggering statement that Jesus is called life. He's called the word of life. He's called eternal life. Think about that. Jesus isn't someone who, who is pointing us to the life. He says he is the life. You know, in every other religion, the founder is always pointing people to how they can find eternal life. You know, here are the five pillars that you have to obey. Here are the four paths that you have to follow. Here's the protocol you must keep in order to, to attain eternal life. Not so with Jesus. He says, I am life. I am eternal life. I am the word of life. You know, over the years, I have met people, and they've said this to me. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or a Buddhist or a, or a Muslim or a Hindu. It doesn't matter. It only matters that you're a good person. First of all, let me tell you, that position assumes that you're a good enough human being to earn your way to heaven. And that's a pretty big assumption in itself. And I'll tell you, those who live that way, in the back of their mind, you know what they're always thinking? I hope I am good enough because they're not really sure. And by the way, have you ever noticed that all other religions are built for the strong? It, they're really designed for people who, who can pull themselves up by their own bootstrap and, and they, can, they can keep the five pillars. They can follow the four paths. They can follow the protocol. They can do all that because they can pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and, and make it happen. Jesus says, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus comes and offers salvation to the weak, to the humble, to the needy, and to the poor in spirit. You see, Jesus came to this earth not, not to show us how to live so that we can live a good enough life to get us into heaven. He came to live the life we cannot live. And he died the death that we deserve and then rose again to make a way for salvation into eternal life. The impact of Christmas, the incarnation, think about it. It's very profound. What it means to us is, number one, it means we have the forgiveness of sins. It also means we have fellowship with God, our creator. And it means that all of it, all of it is by grace. Grace. 
So who is, who is this child born in a, in a stable in Bethlehem? Who is this child whose birth we celebrate every year? Certainly the most unique person to ever walk this earth, to ever be born. He is God incarnate. And because he is God incarnate, that enabled him to do the greatest thing ever done. Provide a way of salvation for sinners like us. God took upon himself humanity, a human nature, that we might take on the nature of God. Here's what I want us to take home with us. Let me put it this way. Jesus is the Son of God who became man that mankind might become the children of God. That's who he is. You know, you know what Christmas is really saying? Christmas is saying, I have come to you because I want to have a relationship with you. Will you now take that step and come to me? If you've never done that, if you've never, never put your trust in Christ, do that today. Make that step. He's come all the way from heaven to here. Would you make that one step toward him? And put your trust in him as your savior. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that if there is someone who's never come to faith in Christ, I pray that today is that day. They will take that step toward you, a step of faith, putting their trust in you, confessing sin, and acknowledging Jesus is the Savior they need. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
uh, an elder or myself, we'll be up front right after the worship service. And we'd be glad to pray with you. Also, if you'd like to hang around for a little bit, we want to do a little more decorating and get ready more, uh, make it look a little more like Christmas. So hang around for just a little bit. We'll get that going as well. And don't forget, if you want a poinsettia, uh, see Wayne. He'll get you hooked up. All right. Let's have a closing prayer. Father, what a blessing it is on this first Sunday of Advent to be reminded of your love for us, that you would come that great distance because you simply want a relationship. Help us, Father, to take that one step toward you each day in faith. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. An announcement from uh, Dr. Lee. Um, she requests that the uh, Weatherford College has a concert on December 2nd, Thursday at 7.30 at Weatherford College Fine Arts Center. And Dr. Lee will accompany the choir as a collaborative pianist. Keep that in mind, if you will, please. Thank you. He teaches at Weatherford College as well as some other schools in the area. And we're really privileged and glad to have her as a part of our worship team. And then uh, if you would like to, I'm glad Michael reminded me, if you would like to uh, sign one of the Bibles... By simply, you know, we've done this in the past. Simply write in there. We don't have the names on them yet. But simply write in there, you know, God bless you or we will be praying for you. Something of that nature. Uh, feel free to come up after the service and do that. We'd like to get something in all the Bibles so that when the children receive them, it's, there's kind of a personal note in there from us that uh, we'll be thinking about them and we're praying for them. And we'll get the names out to you uh, as soon as we get all of that taken care of. All right, Wayne.